0: Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest today is Stephen Morris. Uh, He's the CEO of a company called BioLife 4D. So, Steve, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well, thank you. Looking forward to being able to talk about our incredible technology.
0: Yeah, so let's, let's start with that. Tell me about BioLife. What's the premise of the company?
1: Well, BioLife 4D is a company that was started a couple of years ago. It's a biotech company, and what we're working on is literally three D bioprinting a human heart viable for transplantation using a patient's own cells. So if wow. you are
0: Oh go uh, ahead. I just I just say wow. Yeah.
1: Okay. All right. So uh so so if you're uh, have any familiarity with uh transplantation process, there's three huge challenges. The main one is a total lack of supply. Um, There's very, very few organs that become available. So one out of every three people in every developed country around the whole world die of cardiovascular disease. By far, it's the largest cause of death, more than every single type of cancer combined. And if you think about it, there's about seven and a half billion people alive. And with all of those numbers, only about 5,000 heart transplants take place globally each year. And everyone else that really needs one ends up just dying. So what we're looking to do is address that supply issue. And then the people that are lucky enough to get heart transplants still face face two huge challenges. Uh, One is that their body wants to reject the organ because it's not native to itself. And in order to prevent rejection, uh, they have to take massive immunosuppressant therapy in order to prevent that rejection. And it pretty much shuts down your immune system. So you leaves yourself susceptible to all types of diseases and things like that. Not a great quality of life going forward. So by bioprinting or bioengineering a heart for transplantation using their own cells, um, we eliminate the supply problem, the rejection problem. And because they won't reject the organ since it's made out of their own cells, they don't have to take mass, this uh, massive immunosuppressant therapy. So it pretty much addresses all three of those huge challenges.
0: Well, okay, um, because it's coming from the person's own cells, right? So Yeah. What, so what's the process? Are you turning the person's – are you having to – okay, so first of all, like how many different types of cells make up the human heart? Is it just one or like multiple?
1: Yeah. So there, there's multiple cells that make up the heart, about six of them. So there's cells that actually cause the beating and there's cells that, cause, that regulate the beating. Um, there's different types of cells, but about six different cells primarily that make up the heart. So what we do is this: a patient who is in need of a heart transplant, will we'll go to the doctor and, and draw their blood. And at the same time, we'll take an MRI image of their heart just to essentially get the size and shape of it. And what we mm. do is we take the, from the blood, we take the white blood cells and we reprogram those white blood cells into uh, induced adult stem cells, cells. They're called IPS cells, induced pluripotent stem cells. And really that's just a fancy name for adult induced stem cells and now that the Mm. cells are in the stem cell state again we're able to then reprogram them through a process called differentiation into those different types of cells that we need so we took the blood cells changed them to stem cells and then we changed them again into the six different types of heart cells that we need in order to create the heart or bioengineer the heart and we take those cells and we put them together with nutrients and growth factors and things like that, our secret sauce, and we make bio-ink out of that. And bio-ink is the, is the building blocks for for us to build the heart. We then take that bio-ink and we use a bioprinter. Um, a lot of people are familiar these days with additive manufacturing or 3D printing, and a bioprinter is essentially just a specialized type of a, of a 3D printer. But unlike most 3D printing, where you melt one layer or fuse one layer into the next as you're building it up, we couldn't do that or we would kill the cells. Because remember, the, the, our ink, the, what we're building with, are actually live human cells. So what we do is we just place those cells um, in the proper location. So think of it like this. Um, we lay down a piece of cheese. And then in that first layer of cheese, we put all the cells that belong on the first layer of the heart, and we put another piece of cheese on top of that, and then we put the second layer of cells, and so on and so forth. So this cheese, it's not actually cheese, but we're calling it cheese, this cheese actually acts like a scaffolding, just like if you were building a house or a building, the scaffolding holds up the walls until there's enough support. So this scaffolding holds the cells in the proper location until they fuse together so once the cell once we've changed these cells to heart cells um the dna which is think of it like the the information storage area of the of the cell knows that it, since it's a heart cell now it needs to act like a heart cell so what the start, the heart cells do naturally in the body is just join together and start beating in unison and because we've recreated this environment outside of the body um, that happens naturally inside the body, the cells just do what they naturally are programmed to do. They form together and, and form that solid organ. And it takes about a week for that process. It's called the self-assembly process. And that's the same process that, that how everything in your body is made. Your, your body go, follows that same exact process to create everything in your body. We're just we're just recreating the circumstances or the the environment outside of the body um, and tricking the cells to think that they're inside the body and asking them to do what they do naturally. So once they form that that solid organ, once they network together and start beating, we literally melt away that scaffolding and are left with that with that heart. When we printed the heart, we did it the size and the shape of the original patient's heart so when you got, now take that organ and bring give it to the the surgeon who can transplant it back into the patient it's the exact size and shape and it's a precise genetic match as well because it's made out of the patient's own cells it's a really incredible process um the science of this has only been around for about 10 years uh but it's uh, it's it's really incredible it has a huge amount of uh, of promise and 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 we're looking forward to being able to hopefully save millions of people's lives with it.
0: But how close are you to, to doing this? I've I've heard, you know, anecdotally some of the problems are, you know, you need vascularization. You need to get blood vessels to feed the cells as they're growing in the scaffold. And if they get more than like a millimeter away from a, a blood source, they die. Um,
1: and then yeah, you know growing so, the heart yeah, and the so, morphology is really tough. Sure. So so that's one of the one of definitely one of the challenges is the vascularization. So even if if we were able to uh you know print an organ if it didn't have proper vascularization, it wouldn't stay alive for long. And the reason is is because the vascularization is how the blood is able to provide oxygen and nutrients to the organ and also flush away the waste. And that's how everything is, it needs to live inside the body. Um, so the vascularization is, is a really key component of it. Just this past June, a couple months ago, uh, we released our cardiac patch and we were the first people ever, while other people have what they call cardiac patches, ours was the first that ha- had all of the proper cell types and included vascularization. So we're already on top of the vascular, vascularization challenge. And, and certainly as we scale up, it'll continue to be a challenge, but it's something that we've addressed as a matter of fact, at the end of this year, or the very beginning of the first quarter of next year, we plan on releasing our next major milestone, which we call our mini heart. And what our mini heart is literally a shrunk down version of a human heart. It'll be the first ever in all of history that anyone's been able to do this. And, and it will be about the size of a mouse heart, it won't be able to be implanted into into a human, but it'll have vascularization, it will be able to be not only be a proof of concept for BioLife 4D, but we have some really exciting opportunities that that uh, uh, that we're looking at in order to bring it to the market. So while it won't be used for human use. Um, there's a huge use for it or application for it in pharmaceutical testing. So as, you, as you're probably aware, any pharmaceutical company, when they want to come out with a new drug for, for, for any type of disease or anything like that, has to go through an FDA process and try and prove its safety, cardiac safety, um, prior to going to human trials. And the way they do that, unfortunately, is through animal testing. And what we're, ta- we're going to approach um, the pharmaceutical companies with uh, beginning next year is, is, an, is a, more pre- a more accurate way to predict what will happen with the human heart than using animal testing. Because although animals are the closest and best uh, a- a indicator of what will happen with the human they're a different species. And even though they're the best indicator, they're not a terribly good indicator. And we feel that actually having a a human heart, even though it's a small version of the human heart, will be able to give better predictive value to the pharmaceutical companies. So it's a win-win-win situation. It's a way for us to get to the market right away. It's It's a win for the pharmaceutical companies because they literally have the opportunity to save billions of dollars um, in in lost research, and uh, because of, of of the lack of accurate predictability of the animal model. And there's another huge win, which is we'll hopefully be able to save lots of animals' lives, so they won't need be needed to be used for this cardiac toxicity testing. So we're really excited about that next milestone, and and that's only that's only a few months away. So we're really excited about that but where,
0: all right so for a to grow a, a, a human heart a replacement heart and to have an implanted i would have to think that's a long road not just technology well, wise but approval wise where where are you in that process like
1: um yeah have so you been able to grow right. a whole heart
0: have you done a transplant or you know are there many no, years of trials so, left or yeah. what
1: Okay, so, so that kind of goes almost to a question of why we chose the heart to begin with. Is, is And let me answer that, and I think that'll answer your question at the same time. So the reason we chose the heart was twofold. First, because by far it's the largest market that, that there is. It's almost incomprehensible how big the market is. I touched on a few of the statistics, like one out of every three people dying of cardiovascular disease and only you know, 5,000 transplants taking place globally. So there's millions and millions of people that can be up. So the market is huge. But the other reason is, unlike other organs, on our way to our full heart, we have these different, we call them shots on goal or scientific milestones. So Hmm. there's a cardiac valve, which is part of a heart that we're, it's already a billion dollar market and we have the capability of really Um, um, helping people give them a better quality of life with lesser advanced heart stage um, disease. So there's these different milestones along the way, a a valve, a graft, um, different components of the heart that we're able to, we should be able to bring out to the market. Um, And each of these, each of these different milestones on the way to the full heart have different timeframes. Um, in order to get out to the market. So they have different pathways to get through the FDA. So our mini heart to begin with um, is, is something that requ- does not have any requirement to go through the FDA. It's never gonna be implanted into a human. So all we have to do is go and show that it has better predictive value and then and then provide that directly to pharmaceutical companies. Um, our components on the way to the full heart, like a patch, the one we did in June, um, valves for valve replacement surgery, grafts for for um, uh, bypass surgeries, all of those are going to have to go through a much longer process to get through the FDA. Because there are, even though there's not great options out there, there are options out there. Now that being hmm. said, our full our full heart, ironically, is something that we believe will qualify what's for what's called the compassionate exemption. So unlike the valve or the graft or the patch, um, people that, are, that, are, that need a heart transplant that can't get one um, are in a really difficult situation. They're essentially um, just going to die. So, so the FDA has a path called compassionate exemption where we would be able to go to those people who otherwise have no options and say... Um, you know, here's an option. Um, we, it hasn't gone through the full testing process yet, or it's gone through a, 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 a lesser degree of testing process. Um, right. But at least it's an option without it. Otherwise you'd be dead. So that's a compassionate, that's a compassionate exemption. There's actually even one more route um, that the heart could go, which is um, uh, Donald Trump, the president just passed a new bill that allows you to it's a right to try bill. So what it is, if you if you're somebody that that has a terminal illness and can't wait for the FDA to approve a certain a certain uh, drug um, or therapy, that you have the right to try one that's that's not as far along in the testing process because without it, you're just going to die anyway. So there's different paths to the market for for different for different things that we're working on. So what um,
0: what challenges lie before you to do you know I guess the Holy Grail like I said is uh like well, you said is a you, know, you can grow an entire heart from someone's cells and then yeah. you know implant it in their chest I mean what so what yeah. are the big so, uh, milestones there for you
1: yeah so the 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 biggest chance, yeah, so once we once we do the mini heart um we can say it's just a matter of scaling and that's true but that's really an understatement because um, in the scaling process, in, in going from 10 million cells, the size of a mouse heart, like we're planning on doing with our mini heart, to a few, full human heart, you could be looking at 10 billion cells. So, so the scaling process is really a difficult one. We have to, we have to work on really um, on a much larger scale with the amount of cells that we're working with. And we also have to work on something that you put your finger on—the vascularization. The vascularization probably will be the biggest challenge that we face as we continue to scale up towards the size of a full human heart. Um, we've got an incredible team. The people that we put together um, are from Har- their backgrounds are Harvard and MIT and Carnegie Mellon and Johns Hopkins and University of Virginia, and so on and so forth. And and these people are are are, are, are the preeminent leaders in the, these different fields of research, including vascularization. So we put together an incredible team in order to tackle these, these challenges. Uh, but we're we're very confident we're work we're, we're moving at a really clip, really fast clip, fast pace. Um, and and anticipate that that um it, we'll have these milestones met sooner than later. We think that. That we'll be able to have a a full sized human heart in about a three to four year time frame, which is really, if you think about it, a short period of of time. Well,
0: I'm sure a lot of groups are working on this. What are the uh, the big challenges that they're running into? Is it the well, vascularization? There's is real, like, there's... there's a race for that, or is it something else?
1: Well, there's there there there's actually really not a lot of people working on on trying to bioprint a heart. Um, there's a lot of people working on different aspects. So what we did is we broke up the process into call it 10 different steps. And each of those steps, there's a lot of people working on each of those steps, but there's not a lot of people working on putting all of those steps together. Um, there's a few companies that are that are a little bit higher profile companies, and they're working on um, providing tissues. So the cells make the tissues and the tissues make the organ and they're working on tissues, but they're really not working on trying to do a full organ. Essentially, they're trying to provide those tissues to pharmaceutical companies in order to have the pharmaceutical companies be able to use those tissues for testing. So for instance, there's a company um, out West that is working on liver tissues and selling them to pharmaceutical companies that are doing uh, drug testing to try and look for cures to different types of liver diseases, and by using living human liver tissue, they feel that will give them the best indicator of how it will work in a, in a human in the liver when they get to that point. So there's people working on tissues, there's people working on different aspects of this, but there's really not a lot of people that are working on a full organ like ours, and there's very, very few people that are working on, um, on the heart.
0: Why do you think that uh, there's so few people working, you know, using your 3D printing method? Is it just they, they feel like, oh, it's impossible or, you
1: know? Um, well, you know, that that's a great question. I, I think most of the research in each of the steps is being done in academia. And really what ends up happening is the people that are leading in those different steps of the research um are are pretty much focused on only one silo or one of the steps and they have to be focused because a lot of times their funding comes in the form of grants and those grants are pretty specialized and they talk about going down these very kind of specialized paths and so so they aren't able to really reach out and and expand into to all the different steps of the process really what biolife 4d is in in the essence is, is taking a group of these preeminent scientists, if you will, and putting them together to, for the first time in order to work together for the whole process. Each of them know that they're really at the precipice with their particular step. They just have never put all those steps together. So think of it like this. Um, for the first time in human history, we finally know what all of the pieces of the puzzle are, and we actually even know where those pieces of the puzzle belong. I just brought pe- people who brought who, who are specializing each of those pieces for the first time to work together and say, okay, well, for my piece to work together in this puzzle as a whole, I know it has to fit together with all of these other other pieces in a certain way. And so it's a different way of looking at it and and It's a little bit different approach than other people have taken. There's other people that have started companies that have had one really excellent person in one particular step of this. We're really the first company that's put together preeminent people in all of the steps of it. It's really the difference between BioLife 4D and a lot of the other companies that are out there.
0: Yeah. So um, you said about 5,000 transplants are done a year. How many need to be done?
1: So the capability of saving, um, I think. I think the statistic is is it, every 20 seconds or something, someone in the United States dies that could have been saved with uh, a life-saving organ transplant. So there's there's a huge amount. There's if you think about one out of every three people um, die of cardiovascular disease, and only you know five plus thousand transplants take place globally. So there's there's opportunity to potentially save millions of people's lives So in the United States. In um, other countries as well, there are so few donor hearts that are available that there's these, these waiting lists that you have to go on. And, and the problem with these waiting lists, besides that they're they're pretty long waiting list, uh, the other problem is, is that you may not even be able to get on it. So there's so few organs, they want to save them for a them for the people that have the highest uh, likelihood of success. So if you're, for instance, 60 or 65 years or older, they may not even let you on the list. So, so even yeah, if you yeah. need it, you can't be on the list. If you have another medical condition, maybe it's diabetes, maybe it's uh, 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 you've had cancer or something like that one time, they may just say, you know what, we need to save it for somebody else. So even though there's a lot of people on the quote unquote list, um, for every person that's on there, there's a whole lot more of the pe- of people that really could benefit. And if, if there was an unlimited supply, um, there's a lot more people that would be able to be saved. So there's there's thousands and thousands and tens of thousands, probably globally, there's millions of people whose life we can save with this technology.
0: Yeah, that's great. Have you, have you looked at, um, I mean, as I know it's enough, but have you looked at other organs or, you know, what do you think will be the um, the first organs that will be 3D printed? You know, is there a hierarchy I, of I'm, difficulty in different organs?
1: Well, they 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 each have their unique difficulties. Um, you know, the heart—it's it, obviously one of the very critical organs. You can't live without it. Um, but essentially, it's a pump, and and that's an oversimplification because there's a lot of electrical kind you know a lot of different things that go into it. But it's essentially it's a pump. Um, we are very confident that we're going to be the first people um, to have a an, an organ. It's bioprinted that is viable actually for transplantation. Um, My wife, you know, yes, what's the next organ or what's another organ? My wife has type 1 diabetes. So she was really mad when I chose to to go for a heart first. She thought we should do a, a pancreas first because if you can do a pancreas, you can completely eliminate type 1 diabetes, you know. If you have type one diabetes, you're not producing insulin. And so, you know, she so she's really in favor of that being the second organ. Um, Really, the sky's the limit. So once we have the technology down in order to do a heart, uh, we certainly are going to look to leverage it towards other organs. And each organ has its own unique difficulties. Some of them produce lots of different hormones. Um, some of them do a lot of different things at the same time. There's lungs that that have millions of little air sacs. So there's there's all sorts of complexities and challenges with each organ. Um, but certainly once we're able to do a heart, we're going to look to be leveraging it to other organs um, as quickly as we can. Okay.
0: So, what, again, what's the timeline now? You said the first thing is the mini heart that you're going to test different drug protocols on. What What's the timeline well, on, uh, on creating that, you think?
1: Yeah, so our our, our timing, We've our, our first milestone that we were out to achieve was our cardiac patch, which we actually did achieve in June. Uh, we did that about a year ahead of our initial um, projections. Our next That's milestone... Know what, um,
0: we, we didn't talk enough about that, the cardiac patch, you glossed over it. Can, can you describe what, what's that about and how does it work?
1: Yeah, the cardiac patch, is, it's incredible. So, so there's, call it about a million people a year just in the United States that have, um, have a heart attack. There's a lot of people that have lesser stage heart disease, a, a full heart for transplant. Certainly nobody would advocate if you needed a valve replacement or something like that to just rip out a heart and put a new heart in. So there's a whole lot of opportunity for lesser stage heart disease for us to address. And one of them is our cardiac patch. So when somebody has a heart attack, what happens is, is, is blood stops flowing to a certain portion of the heart. And the heart is one of the organs in the body that doesn't regenerate itself. If it's damaged, it can't fix itself. So wherever that blood stops flowing to that portion of the heart, you lose function in that area of that heart. That portion of the heart dies and just is dead. It can't come back. And so what our cardiac patch is going to be able to do is the surgeon will be able to take that patch and implant that over the area that is that has lost function and it'll provide the contraction to help uh, help the heart function better. Now, it's not going to be something that'll get it back to normal, but a lot of times after people, for instance, have a heart attack, what'll happen is that instead of having 100% capacity of their heart, they may be down to, say, 40% or 30%. It may be really hard for them to walk upstairs. So their their quality of life, even though they're living, the quality of life is substantially um, altered. With with our cardiac patch, giving assistance to the giving assistance and beating to that portion of the heart, we believe that we can get that back up to maybe 70, 80 percent, something like that, and give people a much better quality of life and address that lesser advanced heart um, um, heart disease. So it's a, it's a pretty, why does, it's a pretty why does
0: the patch help what does it do is it just when a part of the heart gets damaged what happens is, is, are they literally dead cells or
1: yes what, exactly where so, does the loss of yes, function come from yeah so so what ha- when you have a heart attack the blood stops flowing to a certain area of the heart and all those all that area that the blood stops flowing it, it it's the same it's the same concept when you asked before about the vascularization. If you don't have vascularization, the problem is the blood can't flow to the area that doesn't have vascularization. Well, if that area of the heart is dead, the blood can't flow to those cells and all of those cells in that area die. And so none of those cells in that area are able to contract anymore. The cardiomyocytes, which are the cells that provide the contraction, no longer can contract. They're dead. So what our patch is, it will be a, it will be made up of all of the all of the heart cells, including the cardiomyocytes, the ones that are actually beating. So think of a, think of it as a live piece of human heart tissue that's going to be attached to the reattached to the heart and provide that contraction, provide the provide new viable beating cardiomyocytes, beating heart cells that can provide function back to our some of the function back towards that area of the heart that lost all of its function because it lost the blood flow due to the heart attack.
0: Hmm. And what is, so how does the patch work to, uh, to, to change this? How does, what does it do? Is it
1: kind of. Well, literally it provides the contraction. So think of it almost like a, uh, think of it just like a patch, like a patch on your genes or something like that. So the patch would go, the patch is made up of the different types of heart cells and vascularization to, so that it keeps it alive and viable, and think of it as a beating living patch. And when you take that beating living patch and put it on the heart, it'll continue to beat and provide contraction in area of the heart that is not contracting anymore. So it'll it'll help. Okay, so, so that's the, kind of like a pacemaker, uh, essentially. Similar to like it's similar. Think of it almost like a biological pacemaker, exactly. So why couldn't
0: um uh, why couldn't you create this bio ink? And, you know, put it into a patch and, you know, patch it to the side of the heart that's damaged. Why wouldn't it, like, innervate and grow into the heart cells? And, you know, if it was made of stem cells, why wouldn't it repair the heart in situ? Can you do something like that with a patch?
1: Well, that's essentially what the heart will do. The, heart will, the patch itself wouldn't stay like a on piece of patch. It would integrate into the heart. vascularization and everything, the heart would, it would grow into the heart. Um, And that's exactly, that's exactly the process we're doing. So the, the, we follow the same process, but instead of printing an organ, we, we print the patch. So that's the same, it's similar bio ink. It's just that, it's just that rather than putting it in the order of a heart, we would be doing it, laying it down in, in the order of a patch. And then that patch would then be able to be implanted onto the heart. That was our that was our the very first milestone that we did, and it was significant for a couple of reasons. Not only does it have an incredible potential application, but it also um, was a proof of concept for our process to show that we could take cells and we could change them to adult stem cells, and we could change those adult stem cells into the types of different types of heart cells that 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 are required. And we could take that and put it in our special bioink, And we could use that to, in a bioprinting process. And we were able to print living human cardiac tissue. So it was a, it was a, it was a huge milestone on, 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 on many different fronts for us. But it was just our first milestone. The second one is the mini heart, which is a basically a, a, a mini version of a human heart. And the timing on that, as I mentioned, was the end of this year, beginning of next year. After that, the next two milestones that we have on our way to the full heart is our small diameter vascular grafts and our and our um, cardiac valves. It'll be available ultimately for valve replacement. Um, we're looking over a, a couple year period for that, and then after that, we'll be concentrating on bringing all of that technology together um, on a large scale in order to do the the full human heart viable for transplant. Hmm. Okay. Well, very
0: good. So what's the best way to, uh, you know, for interested parties to get in touch, to ask you questions and things like that?
1: Well, the, you certainly, anyone can go to our website, which is uh, www.biolife4d, dbiolife the number four letter D dot com. And you can see some pretty incredible videos that we put together and you can learn a lot more about who we are and, and what we're doing, how we're doing it, and why we're doing it. Um, and I'd also like to mention that, uh, you know, typically new tech, groundbreaking technology like this is available to to very high net worth investors, investment bankers, people like that. What we've done is we put together an equity crowdfunding campaign So that everybody can participate in and and help push this technology and bring it to the market. We started that uh, equity crowdfunding campaign in February. Um, It's not a donation crowdfunding campaign. So when people um, invest, they literally are getting stock in the company. So as we succeed, all of our investors should be succeeding as well. And uh, we've had incredible success so far. We've raised over one and three quarter million dollars or we've sold over one and three quarter million dollars worth of stock since just February. So we've had a lot of success with that. And if anybody would like to, uh, um, you know, participate, invest, um, be part of the process, um, all they have to do is go to the website and go to the invest page and click on any of the invest now buttons and. And you can follow the simple process to invest and become a partner and shareholder in BioLife 4D.
0: Okay, well, that's great. Well, I appreciate you coming on the call and thanks for all the information. And I, I really hope that you make it a success because,
1: as you said, millions pleasure. of the people need it. So. Yeah. yeah, thank you. You know, it's a it's an it's an incredible opportunity. Um, we're really excited because you know, besides the, the obvious financial upside potential, um, it really has the opportunity to to so positively positive positively affect um, so many millions of people on, on a global basis so we're really motivated to get this out to the market as quickly as we can and the shortest path as we can and it's exciting and we're, 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 we're well on our way so we're very excited very good
0: you have been listening to
1: almost here around
0: the corner future technology podcast with Richard Jacobs subscribe to this podcast both to review